What's happening, guys? We are back with another episode here on the Christian Hansen Show. I'm Christian Hansen, and this is my podcast. Today's guest is Major League pitcher Rob Zeshrizny, member of the 2016 World Series champion Chicago Cubs, and also formerly member of the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, currently, he's a free agent. Uh, he's recovering from injury. He's uh, thrown his first bullpen session this Friday. So hopefully that goes well for him and uh, hopefully gets on a team this season. Uh, I talked to Rob for almost an hour. It was a great conversation. We talked about the move from Canada down to Texas when he was not even two years old, uh, being homeschooled, uh, the struggles and challenges that that presented himself uh, when he did eventually get into public school, um, the lack thereof of information as far as history goes um, from being homeschooled and uh, being in public school, uh, kind of, you know, figuring out uh, new things later on in life that uh, perhaps, you know, every other person would have found out way earlier and so we talked about how that was a struggle for him uh you know his play at uh, Missouri getting drafted I mean it was just all in all a great conversation he's a great guy I had so much fun and uh it was it was awesome it was absolute blast and you're gonna listen to my interview right now with him so without further ado this is me talking to Rob Sushirzny enjoy Where where are you currently right now? Are you uh, you're down in te- are you in Texas? Yeah, I'm in Austin, Texas. Oh, I'm, you uh, are there. Okay. We having an elbow. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. See, I wasn't sure. Um, I mean, you guys just got hit with uh, the storm, right? Yeah, and my parents are from Canada, so they'd right. be re- really upset if I said it was awful. Because, <laughs> but in Austin, they were not prepared for it at all, and and I don't even blame them because like, how, how are you supposed to predict something like that? Right. So. Y- like you said, you said you obviously are mentioned you're from Canada, but I mean, you moved when you were young, right? I mean, you weren't even two years old. You moved when you were, you were one. So you do have any memories of really the Canadian, you know, weather? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. But I, I, I went back every, uh, so in college, when, like the summers, I would go back a little gotcha. bit. I, I never played summer ball. And then uh, when I was in elementary school, I was homeschooled. Right. And my parents would take me back, but they, they, uh, they're a little smarter. We would go back in the springtime and summertime mm. instead of the winter. Gotcha. No, I got you there. Now, uh, what's this past off season been like for you? I mean, obviously, I know um, in September, I think it was, uh, you know, the, the Orioles released you. And then since then till now, I, I've been looking, I've been keeping tabs. I've been keeping, you know, trying to look and see uh, where the guys are going that, that I follow and keep tabs on. But uh, right now, you're still currently, you're unsigned, you said? Yeah, so I was uh, I was with the Orioles, and I was throwing well. We went to the Bowie alternate site, and right around like a week or two in, mm-hmm. I hurt my elbow. Mm. We thought it was a bone bruise. We went and got an MRI. It didn't show a ton of structural damage, but I've I have a fracture in there from when I was thirteen Oof. that just kind of that kind of healed up on its own. So we we checked that out. We we tried to throw about a month later, and it re aggravated a little bit. And sure enough. Uh, they told me that I should probably have surgery. Mm. I told them I don't need surgery. I've had that fracture right. my whole life. And then it kept hurting and kept hurting. And so finally we agreed on surgery. They needed a player pool spot because you have, you can only have 60. Right. It's a weird And they're like, Hey, we, do, yeah, they're like, do you mind if we release you and you can go home and have your surgery right. and then, uh, we, we can add, we, we can add a player. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And so we mutually parted ways and they're super respectful about it. I had no worries. 
organization handled everything well. I don't think we had any positive COVID tests while we were there. That's awesome. All the guys on the team, yeah, they did a fantastic job with it. Um, so yeah, that that I definitely love my experience there. But right now, I'm a free agent. I throw my first bullpen this week. How'd it go? And so Feel it good? was no, I I, I throw a Friday. Oh, you throw a Friday. How you feeling yeah, yeah. though? I mean, you feeling like you're you're. I mean, it's hard to tell. I'm sure still. Yeah, I feel like my elbow is not fractured for the first time in 15 years. So that that's. I nice. guess that's a good sign. Right? I feel like, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is fully healed, and uh, I, I, obviously, I'm not. I haven't tested it out yet, but sure. I, I'm gonna go ahead and test it Friday. But I'm feeling good. I'm um, as good. strong as I've ever been. So I'm I'm ready to throw, show teams I'm healthy, and then go play. Right. So, uh, you know, that's something I wasn't quite aware of the, that, that prolonged, uh, the elbow thing and that injury that kind of been lingering over you pretty much sounds like most of your career. Um, at, was there a point that like, when, when did the doctor come to you early on when, when you found out about this and what was the message to you? Was he basically like, Hey, this could be career debilitating. Like, I don't know if you ever be able to play, but you obviously have worked out to some degree to where you've been able to play. Um, you know, I mean, you drafted in 2013, second round. I mean, you've still been able to push through and play. I mean, what was the overall message when you found out about everything? Um, and kind of, was it either baseball or health? And were you like, I can't, baseball, like, this is, this is what I love. How debilitating did they project it to be? Uh, the guy who first diagnosed it, I'll never forget his name. I won't tell you what it is, but he, he told me and my, my mom that, I would never pitch again. He was like, this is one of those, like, wow. It was a stress fracture in a growth play. And it, it's, I mean, there was a chance at it. And so my, my mom's a nurse and she, she knew there was a chance that it would happen, but she was also, uh, she was like, you shouldn't tell a kid that like, let him experience it. Yeah, for himself. No even if it, there's a, even if it's a flip of a coin, like just let him figure it out for itself. But, um, he told me I wouldn't pitch again. And, uh, at that time, it wasn't a huge deal because I was 13 years old. I was I don't think, know going much. into my sophomore year. Yeah, yeah I, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'll still play in the big leagues as a center fielder, right? Like, there you go. So that's not that big of a deal. And uh, it ended up healing on its own. And I didn't really think about it. I actually started throwing right-handed. That That's how I kind of learned how to play right-handed. And uh, I played some tournament ball, second base, right-handed. And I was like, not a big deal. Like, right. I, I never really cared about pitching as much as I did about base baseball as a whole and so if you tell me i can't pitch i was like okay i'll, just I'll do something else, else right? right yeah and then my arm healed up um it never fully grew back together the, mm. like I, I had the fracture in there for a long time but the scar tissue held up i mean it held up for 15 years wow. so it, it, it wasn't that big of a deal when the cubs drafted me they knew about it like i had to send mris in and they're like as long as it holds up he should be fine we're not going to do anything and it just so happened that randomly it it got hurt this year and it could have been something with like the buildup for season, you know, sure. going, stopping and starting again or whatever. But I'm just glad to have a, a healed elbow and see where that leads me. And uh, re rehab's going great. And I'm excited to get on the mound Friday. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You know, the interesting thing was, is I uh, just, you know, just looking on the internet, just trying to gather some info was obviously the homeschooling part about that. Um, for you, high school was the first, was the first schooling for you that was um, kind of outside of home, correct? Yeah. So I did, uh, two years of middle school. Uh, oh, so I did okay. seventh, eighth, yes, seventh, eighth, and then high school. But, um, I took Canadian school. My, my parents wanted me to grow up learning like Canadian history, uh, hmm. the Canadian culture. And I, I, I did a lot of world stuff too. So I learned all about like, like countries in Africa, geography, history. My, my parents just wanted me to learn everything instead sure. of like 
just American history. And yeah. they're like, when you go to middle school and high school, you'll learn about American history. And so it was like a best of both, both worlds thing. And the way their jobs were set up, they actually had time. So one of them stopped working to teach us. And then when we got a little older, my mom would work night shifts and then she'd set up our schedule for the day and she would wow. either nap or she would watch us do school until 12. But that, that was kind of the beauty of homeschool was I had the same amount of work as everybody else, but it took us three, four hours because we didn't have to wait for everybody. Once we got it, we moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, then when <laughs> I got to middle school, they're like, hey, let's learn about the Civil War. And I was like, what? Well, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> and everyone, yeah, I, I just, I didn't know American hit, hit history at all. So we were doing geography and like capitals. Everyone's like, this is easy. And I was like, I've never even heard of Georgia. Like, well, what is that? <laughs> and so you were I was living in this bubble, behind. like, like this permanent bubble. And then it's like, exactly. you, you've discovered the world at uh, the age of 13 or whatever age you are at the time. Yeah. That That's crazy. Now I, I'm, I'm interested in what sparked the move down to, to, to Texas. Cause I mean, you went from Canada down to Texas. What was the, what was the move? Why the move? So my parents always told us they were tired of the cold weather. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. yeah, right. Totally. And then yeah. the old, the, the, the older I get, the more I realize that they were actually tired of the colder weather and they, they moved us down. But I think, they wanted to live on a beach was their thing. Like they, they, they were landlocked in Edmonton, Alberta. They'd never really been to the beach. Right. And they're like, let, let, let's go live on a beach and ha- have our kids grow up. Like Best in the warm worlds. weather. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And so they found Corpus Christi. They, they both found good jobs down here. So it was a, it, it was a great fit. That's awesome. Now, um, the interesting thing is when you did go to high school and stuff like that, what was the hardest part about um, even even the seventh eighth, I think you mentioned. What was the hardest part about transitioning? I mean, you touched on it, like not knowing certain things about U.S. history and stuff like that. But what was the hardest part about transitioning into something a little bit more, you know, fast paced? Because me, like I had learning disabilities growing up. I mean, when I was in, uh, you know, uh, K through twelve and stuff like that, I, I went too fast for me. Was that the toughest part about um, public education for you, making that adjustment? Like, yo, could you just blow the hell down a second because you didn't have that yeah. that uh, that dedicated uh, time as you would at home was that a big adjustment no it was actually the opposite so school was easy to me i remember coming home after the first week and it really? was the first week of sixth grade yeah and i was like this is this is great this is like i didn't know it but i i knew studying and i was like they, they take so long on topics because it's like they're doing long division. It's like we have four weeks of long division. Me me and my brother and mom did it four days Mm. because it was just teaching two kids instead of teaching 30 kids or whatever it was. And so uh, the actual hardest part was like the social aspect of it. I always played sports. So I I had a, I had a pretty easy way of transitioning in, but like my, my interests were video games and sports. And then I get to school and it's like, there's girls, there's other things you're supposed Dude, to be what interested are these in. Things? That I, I don't know. What are they? I was like, wait, <laughs> yeah, they have long hair. Well, wait, what's going on? But um, <laughs> that, 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 that was it for me was socially. Like I was holding conversations with kids all day. Whereas in homeschool, I'd be, I wouldn't talk to anyone because it'd just be me and my brother for hours. And then I'd go to my room or I and I would just be by myself in my own thoughts. And then in school, you're always around people. Right. So I actually had a really hard time. Like I felt like I had to make conversation. I was like, someone would be like standing next to me in line. I'd be like, Oh God, they, they, they want me to talk to them. Right. And I'd force a conversation. They're like, Hey man, relax. So I actually ended up talking way too much and like talking to everybody. And then finally I kind of settled in by about eighth grade. I'd kind of figured it out, but 
Uh, yeah, definitely socially. Cause I, I was around kids, but when you're playing sports, you're focused on the sport. Yeah, it's right? not the same thing. I mean, you're, you're, you're around them, you're talking with them, but you're talking with them in a different vocabulary. I mean, it's a different context. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not like, uh, not, not that it's not important, but it's not, it's not as, uh, I, I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say though? It's, it's way different. It's a completely different language. Yeah. I actually dreaded lunchtime because I was like, <laughs> I got to go. I, I got to sit sucks. down at a table and all you, all you're doing is. Yeah. That's crazy. I have to make conversation with these kids. And then by the end of my high school career, like you have your clicks and you have right. your friends and everybody. And I was settled in like my best friend in the world. He plays for the diamondbacks. His name's Matheson. Okay. And me and him would hang out all the time at school. I drive, I drive him to school. We'd hang out at school and then we'd hit and do fielding and stuff after school. So like I had my group of guys that wanted to play ball mm -hmm. and that, that was the same with college. As soon as I got to college, it was like, here's 30 of your new best friends. There you go. Like that, that's your team. And so it was super easy for me after baseball was involved in that. That's the same now as all my best friends in the world. Pretty much all the groomsmen at my wedding were Baseball. people I played with at some point. That's awesome. Now you mentioned brother. Yeah. Did did your brother was he did he play ball too? He played up until he was, I think, in fifth or sixth grade. In and he, sixth. he just never had any interest in sports. Gotcha. And uh he 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 was more of a computer guy. He he's studying to become a, a cybersecurity guy. So oh, that's like, my he's brother always does. been into computers that's and stuff. Cool. Oh nice. Perfect. Yeah, he does that for yeah, the government. Uh, he, he, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He was a teacher and then he realized that he, he didn't like it because he's not a big social person. And then he realized he had to be social with everybody. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to do cybersecurity. There you go. It's a smart choice. No, that, that's funny. Now, when it came to uh, college, what other choices were on the table? Or was it just, you know, Mizzou peaked heavy interest for you early on? You just said, sure, I'll go to Mizzou. Were there other offers on the table for college? Yeah. Yeah. I had a couple and uh, they're all kind of the same. I wasn't a super prospect out of high school by any means. I had really good senior year numbers and that's kind of when the interest uh, spiked a bunch, but I was already committed at the time. So oh, wow. Okay. Uh, my junior year, it was TCU kind of was, it was TCU, Baylor and Missouri were my top three, oh, Wow. but it was all kind of like minimal scholarship, like the, the, the lowest scholarship available. And, and that was fine with me. Like I just wanted a chance to go you just play, wanted to play and, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And Tony Vitello, he's, uh, I believe he's the head coach of Tennessee now. Yeah, he is. He, he was at Missouri as the recruiting coordinator and he just sold me on the whole culture there. And like, everyone promises you everything. Like if you, you ever get recruited to a college team, they're going to be like, you can hit, you right. can pitch, you'll start as a freshman. You'll be a team captain. Like the world is yours. You, you have a chance for more scholarship money. Sure there's girls everywhere here. They'll, they'll promise you whatever they can promise you to get you to come. And then first day on campus, they're like, you're going to red shirt. You're a pitcher only. Also the, the girls here don't like you. You know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah, it, it all just gets thrown out. And at Missouri, I, I genuinely believe Tony Vitello when he said I could play as a freshman. And, uh, I, that, that's why I went there. My, my dad was like, why do you want to go to college? I was like to get a degree and hopefully play pro. Right. But play pro was kind of on the back burner. I mean, I was, I was a six foot one lefty throwing 84 miles an hour. I was like, I'm, I'm not really trying to pitch in the big leagues. I'm just trying to get a college degree and see if I can do it. And then yeah. after my freshman year, I grew three inches, put on probably 35 pounds. And I was like, this is a real thing for me. That's so huge, I, I was yeah. very fortunate to, yeah, yeah. I was very fortunate to go to Missouri. And then this was no reason of my own or de decision I made, but uh, Tony Vitello left before I got to campus. And so he went wow. to, 
TCU actually, and a guy named Matt Hobbs stepped in as my pitching coach. Interesting. And and he uh, he's the pitching coach at Arkansas now, and he's like a second father. Like as soon as I got onto campus, he laid down the law. And he was like, if you follow these instructions, you will become a big leaguer. And I said okay, and I followed everything he said, and he worked with me, and it ended up working out. But yeah, he's the best coach I've had in my entire life. That's awesome. Now, before I get into talk about being drafted and stuff like that, something that caught my eye, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, did you know that you were the first Cubs pitcher drafted under Theo Epstein to make the major leagues? Did you know that? I think I did. I I, I didn't know if Pierce beat me up there or not, Pierce Johnson, yeah. but yeah, I, I knew I, I was one, one of the first couple, but yeah, um, yeah that, that that's all awesome to hear, and um I'm sure I knew it at the time or I right. saw a tweet about it, but yeah. I that stuff's about just that fog and mirrors, I mean, or whatever. I mean, that, you're not even yeah. worried about that stuff. Some people are, and that's that ruins their game if, if you do focus on stuff like that. But um, June 6, yeah. 2013, we all know what happened that day. You do too. Obviously, draft day, the Cubs draft you. What was that day like for you? And what's that process like? Because I've talked to other people. I, I have a friend who plays for the Reds, um, Ryan Utoff, and he uh, he's prospect, but okay. he, he was uh, – I mean, the day is very different. Like, there's from the morning until the day to the time it actually happens. There's this built up, you know, anxiousness. There's this uh, nervousness. There's this sense of, am I gonna get a call today? Am I gonna get a call tomorrow? I mean, there's all these things that are clouding your your mind. Um, and then you get a couple calls, and then whoops, those are false flags. And then you get the call. And I mean, what was the day like for you from from start to finish? Did you get any calls earlier in the day uh, from other organizations saying, "Hey, you know, we might be interested in you at this spot or this spot"? How did that all play out for you? Yeah, and teams do it. And the longer I've been in baseball, the more I realize that if you're one of eight guys, they'll tell you that they're thinking about you at the spot, right? Yeah, and of course. If like, for instance, the giant, the giants were at 24, I believe. And they were like, Hey, if a couple dominoes fall, you'll be our guy we go with. And those dominoes didn't fall mm-hmm. and they, they passed up on me, but I, I didn't really expect to go there. Me and my agent kind of had a long talk and whenever he was my advisor at the time, whenever I talked to him, I was like, Hey, I'll work with you. I was like, but you have to shoot me straight forever. Mm-hmm. I was like, until the day you're no longer my advisor slash agent, I was like, you got to shoot me straight. And so day of the draft, he was like, you have a chance of going at the end of the first round. He's like, but there's also a chance you don't get drafted today. Mm. And so that, that day turned into a whole, like, like it was either going to be the best day ever, or it was going to be the worst night of sleep of my life. And so, uh, the Yankees were interested. They, they actually had three picks. They went with, uh, I remember judge was one of the picks, but they, they had three picks wow. in the thirties. Yeah. It was like 30, 32 and 34 or something like that. And, uh, they passed on me. And I remember right after they picked whoever they picked at 34, I can't, I think it was Ian Clarkin. Actually, I, I play with them with the Cubs. Um, they picked Ian Clark. And I remember I turned the TV off and I was like, not because I was upset. I, I, I just wanted to be drafted. I didn't right. really care where. But I was just like, I, I can't do this to myself. I was like, I'm on the edge of my seat. Like my heart's going up and down. I feel my emotions are like mountain range. Like I'm going up, down, up, and up, down. And I was, I'm not going to do this to myself anymore. Let's watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> and so I think it was like season three was out at the time. And so me and my dad popped on Game of Thrones and my agent called me at pick 40. And he goes, the Astros are either going to take you at 40 or the Cubs are going to take you at 41. Oh, wow. And I was like, is this like a Yankees giants thing? He's like, no, 100% the Cubs, if you get to them at 41, you're going. 
And uh, so I turned on the TV, the Astros picked some, someone else, and then the Cubs picked me. And it ended up being the, the, like as lucky as I was to have Coach Hobbs at Missouri just randomly get the job as I was already there. Mm-hmm. I was more lucky to be dra- drafted by the Cubs and be able to like go through all the stuff that I went through there because those are memories that I hopefully will never forget the, the rest of my life. And it, it starts from all the players I played with, all the coaches that sure, I had, yeah. to the, the front office, like. My my wife still talks about it to this day. She was like, "Do you realize how lucky we were?" Because even the wives were incredible. Like, it just ended up being the greatest thing to ever happen to me. And so, looking back on it, like I was never upset about where I was picked. But I wish right. I could tell myself, like, "Hey, man, like the greatest thing to ever happen to you just happened." Yeah. Other than direct. meeting my wife, if she, if she asks. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, you know, the, I think the thing yeah. is, it's harder with baseball because I mean, there's a there's more rounds. I mean, so you're sitting there. I mean. Uh, generally you have a good idea if you're going to be drafted in the first couple rounds or you might, you know, get scooped up towards, you know, the latter end of, of the draft, but there's so many more rounds. So there's so, so much more on your mind with NBA and football. You're like, okay, I know this is only a two day thing. NBA I think is a one day thing. So it's like, I'm either going or I'm not. Yeah. So that's what makes it harder with baseball is the time goes on. You're like, all right, just take me. Call me and let me know when you're going to do it because I can't think about this anymore. But it happened, and uh, I I mean, you've lived, a, a, I think, my dream, every every uh, kid's dream. So, um, I mean, I'm 25, and I'm still pissed. Like, I that I never, uh, you know, got to that point in my life. But uh, from that day on, there's this gap. There's this time period. So from that day, draft day to June 18th, when you signed, what's that period like in between? Like what goes on in that period? Um, I mean, cause that's kind of a, that's like almost two weeks in between. I mean, what's happening throughout that time? Is it all uh, transitioning? Is it all doc- uh, paperwork or, I mean, w- what goes on through that period that requires a two week delay? Um, I, I wish I had a good story for you, but mine's the most boring draft story ever. Once <laughs> I got drafted, my agent said, uh, I told him I wanted to be the most signable guy in the draft. I was like, the team that drafts me, I want them to know how badly I want to play for. Right. And he was like, okay. And so we agreed on a price before Kerry Wood walked out there and drafted me. And so once oh, I got wow. drafted, I knew my signing bonus. I knew when, uh, yeah. And they were like, hey, when do you want to fly out? And actually, it's a funny story. Um, I can't remember who told me it was, it might've been Jaron Madison or somebody in the front office. They fly out some of their first round picks to go sign in Chicago. Hmm. And I don't even remember this because that whole day was a blur, Sure, but like Chris Bryant flew to Chicago and he, he walked around Wrigley and he signed, I was supposed to go with him, but they asked me like, do you want to go to Chicago to sign? I remember like thinking it was a dumb question. I was like, no, like, I want to get out and play my arms ready. I haven't thrown in two weeks. Like let's get the ball rolling. Let's go play baseball. And they flew me straight out to Arizona. And I didn't think twice about it until I I think it was Jaron Madison told me, he was like, Hey man, you know, you could have gone to Wrigley stayed at like a five-star hotel and like got a tour of Chicago. I was like, what? Cool. Thanks for telling me. But yeah, that, that was just my mindset. Yeah, that was just my mindset. I was like, I want so badly to show the Cubs how much I want to play for them. I was like, I want to be there the next day. And I jumped on a plane, I think, 24 to 48 hours after, but we started to go out. We had to go through physicals. Um, we had to, I remember sitting with Gil. He's a guy that worked out there, Gil Passarella, and he would make us sign our contract. And then he'd take, take like a nice picture of us. And that, that was the end of it. But yeah, mine's a super boring story. I was, I knew what I was signing for as Kerry Wood was walking to draft me. Wow. That, that, that's how bad I wanted to be a Chicago Cub and play. 
Wow, that's insane. That's intense. That's that's actually pretty. That's pretty awesome, but pretty. Uh, it kind of sucks at the same time. Um, hearing like what I could have done that, but whatever. I mean, can't go back. Yeah. <laughs> can't change that. Now the thing is that that's interesting. And um, for me, I'm a huge fan of minor league baseball. A lot of uh, the guys, a lot of those bats back there are from uh, some of the Diamondbacks prospects that I've been friends with over the years, um, like Marcus Wilson, oh, nice. um, Jazz Chisholm, who's now on, on the Marlins and stuff like that. And over the yeah. years, just through talking to them, I, I always like picking their brains. So it's like, what, what's it like when you get here and you meet your host family? Is it, what's that like? For you, what was uh, that like for you when you uh, finally got settled in as a minor leaguer? And you, I mean, did you, and you joined this new family? I'm assuming you did, obviously. You joined a host family, correct? Yeah, yeah. Was it, I mean, I mean, you're literally, it's like uh, the TV show on TLC, like Wife Swap, but you're literally, I mean, you're swap, you're going into someone else's family and they're welcoming you, their whole home. I, I, what was that experience like? And was it a very strange transition? So it, it wasn't super strange. I know guys in summer ball would stay with host families and stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I never played summer ball. I always threw too many innings during the yeah. season so they, they they would never find me out to go play because like the last thing you want to do is overload a kid who's still growing or sure. a freshman or sophomore and so, issues. so i actually stayed in columbia yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and uh but but uh host families are the saviors of like the lower minor league and they don't get enough credit but mine were the feels uh they had never had a, a host kid before and oh, i never had a host out. family so yeah, so I was like, this is kind of nice. Like, we're both nice. experiencing it for the first time. And they had two younger kids, and they were awesome, big baseball fans. Um, they actually came out to my debut in Colorado. Oh, I remember I called my awesome. parents, and then I was like, I'm going to text, like, some very important people that helped me along the way. So I texted, like, college coaches, college teammates, guys who pushed me, co- co- coaches who said I could do it and believed in me. And right. then I was like, oh, I'm going to text the fields because they were my first host family and they they took care of me like they had an awesome house and they gave me my own vehicle to take to and from the field oh, wow. like they it was yeah it was an unbelievable setup in boise idaho but i remember i texted them and i remember my mom called them because my mom and them are very close and uh because my mom would send me care packages to their house so that That's they awesome. would get to me and uh anyways they ended up coming out to colorado for my debut and it was a super special day because it's like I got to see my family and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife and my brother and mom and dad and everybody, but also my host family who was there from day one. Like the, the first team I ever played for was the, the Boise Hawks. And that, that, that was the family I met that night. So it, it meant a lot to ha- have them there and everything too. Yeah. Now I know uh, the, the debut obviously was on the road. It's Coors Field. Are you kind of happy the way that all went down? Were you, did you much prefer it happen on the road than at home in, uh, in front of uh, the home crowd or would you have preferred it differently because of uh i mean there's there's got to be I, I couldn't even imagine walking in front of forty four thousand at wrigley making a, a debut obviously they're all cheering for you but i mean did you did you like the way it all played out having it be on the road kind of take a little bit off that pressure off your back right from the start i think so because i also never threw out of the pen and so i was a starter right, yeah, my started. whole life mm-hmm. yeah i think i had maybe three appearances in my life out of the pen like the big 12 tournament one time in high school mm-hmm. and then maybe one piggyback appearance in pro ball and so i remember i was sitting down there every time i've ever thrown out of the pen there's no phone because like it's lower levels and stuff mm-hmm. and they just ra- they radioed down and so every time the phone would ring i'd have like this this chill sent through my body like it's oh my god walk <laughs> yeah it, it, it could be me and so 
they, they were like, Hey, Travis Wood, uh, Rondone, they're sending everybody out except for me. And then Felix Pena, who's with the angels now, he's, he's one of my best friends in the world. Cause we debuted on the same day and he's wow. just one of the best teammates I've ever had. Um, they call him out for the ninth inning in a tie game. And he thought it was a scoreless inning. I think he struck two out and having him go out there and do that before me made it real. Like, cause I'd been throwing with Felix all year. Like I would start the game. Felix would come out of the pen and right. save it for me. And when he went out there and he, and he dominated their order for the ninth inning, I was like, man, like he gave me the belief in myself. Cause I was like, he, he went out there and it was like riding a bike on a Sunday afternoon in the Dominican. Like it was, he was just so relaxed and like, I'm having a good time, punch two guys out, get a ground out inning over. And that's kind of when I settled down. I was like, you know what? Like me and him both belong here. We're going to contribute to this team. And that's kind of what was echoed to us the whole time. The very second I got there, I, I didn't know any of the guys. I was never in big league camp. Mm-hmm. I had never met one single guy on the big league team, except really? for Albert Almora, I believe was there at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And CJ Edwards was the other right. one that, that I played with everyone else. I'd never met. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I walked in. The first person was Ben Zobris. He goes, Rob Zastrisny, nice to meet you. We're so glad to have you. You're wow. going to help us win some ball games. And that meant so much to me because I was like, this guy, number one, he shouldn't know who I am. And I know he definitely did. They, they told him and he was like, okay, I'll make sure I like Google him at least. <laughs> and uh, he was like, man, I know, I know what you've been doing in AAA. You're going to help us win games. And they just did. I mean, that, that's why that team in 16 was so good. Like roster wise, I don't know if we were the best team in baseball. Mm-hmm. It, you can make an argument either way, but chemistry wise we were the best in the world yeah and that's the best chemistry team i've ever been on in my life like they made you act or they acted like you were the most important player on the team every time you're on the mound yeah and i i think you, you hit that on there too i mean i don't think from from start to finish you guys uh, that that team that year i mean there was i don't think you'll ever see anything like that i mean it was coast to coast it was I mean, it was like the, you know, as much as I don't like them because I'm from Chicago, it was almost uh, comparable to that of the White Sox 2005 postseason run where they only lost one game. I mean, that was that type of yeah. level of like, wow, coast to coast. Now for you, the first Wrigley experience, um, I know for me personally, I go to games all the time. I get there six hours before a game and the, the neighborhoods are already nice. jacked up. I mean, there's, I mean, vendors are getting, I mean, there's a different type of energy and vibe there than any other ballpark in in all of the the league um i mean what was the energy like there for your first time and um i mean i i'm sure you've been asked this but it's just i i i i like asking it from from everybody that i talk to who've experienced that moment because it's been a dream of mine what was that like talk about the energy the just the the whole experience the whole experience was I mean, it's almost like I, I forgot what happened because in Colorado, I can remember sitting down in the pen. I can remember how cold it was. Mm-hmm. I remember there not being a ton of fans because it was terrible weather. Like Colorado draws well. They actually had a really good team that year too. Yeah. But it was cold and like rainy and sleety and it was kind of nasty. And so I actually remember a lot about that day. Like you, you talk about a lot of debut days and guys are like, oh man, I just was so focused on the game. I can't remember. But that day, I, I remember pretty vividly. Like, I remember uh, I had to eat before the game, and that's what blah, blah. But the, my first game at Wrigley, I don't remember a thing because I was so engulfed in the atmosphere Yeah, that it was like I was watching a team play. I, I was watching one of the greatest teams that ever assembled play a game of baseball. 
and I was on the team and I was in uniform, but I was also sitting right like six inches from the first row of fans because at the time the bullpen the was the third yeah. line. And so it was like I was, yeah, it was I was a spectator, and then like Rob, you're you gotta warm up and go into this game. And I remember I got up on the mound and I couldn't stop smiling and I looked like an idiot. And I know guys like Travis Wood or Trevor Cahill were gonna light me up for it because they like they're two of the funniest guys I've ever played with and they'll let, they'll let you know if you're doing something dumb. And so I had to stare at the ground to the point where Chad Noble was like, Hey, like you got to get going. you got to start warming up. But I was smiling so hard because I was like, like, I've been waiting so long to be a Chicago cub. And I was for a, like a week and a half or two weeks prior, but I wasn't a Chicago cub until I played it regularly in my eyes. And everyone was like, dude, you won't believe how it feels. You won't believe what it sounds like, like the atmosphere. And they were right. Like you, I can't even put it into words what it feels like to like be wearing the the, the pinstripe, the white pinstripe oh. uniform out on the field. Uh, it's it is nuts, especially because like the season ticket holders were right by our bullpen, mm-hmm. and all the guys knew them by name, and they're having all these combos. So it felt like we were sitting at a bar watching the game, oh, and then awesome. all of a sudden it was like, "Hey, Rob, you're warming up." Whoops, I gotta I go. Like, I went from. I was like, "Oh, dang!" And I remember as soon as I stood up, like. I looked over to my right and all eyes in the, like all 20,000 people that I could see, like as soon as I started warming up, looked down at the same time, like who's coming in the game or who's warming up. And I was, Oof. it was the most people that had ever looked at me at one time and I could not stop smiling. Yeah. I was like, this is incredible. Like I, I, I could feel like eyeballs on me. And I, I was like, how am I supposed to warm up with all these people looking at me? But you, awesome. you also get used to it, but sure, yeah, it was the best thing in yeah. the world. I honestly like, yeah, I, I don't remember a lot about that day, but I know I had a lot of fun pitching that day. Mm-hmm. Now that I, I couldn't even imagine. That's, that's insane. Now um, you were very fortunate enough. So you got, uh, when it comes to the postseason, they, they do this thing where like, I think it's like the first, like a wild card of the first round, they, they like allow extra players and then you go to the next round and then like it, it shrinks or whatever. But you were fortunate. You, you got onto the postseason uh, roster um, and I was at the NLDS game one. I was there. I was at NLCS, the, the game when Montero hit the home run um, uh, against the Dodgers. Yeah. And then I was there the night you guys clinched. Um, and I'll never forget, because I, I want to talk about that game and then going into the World Series was my brother, he's a lifelong Chicago Cubs fan. He grew up in Chicago. So my brother, he's, like I said, he works for the government, cyber stuff. He was on the East Coast. And so he goes, I want you to call me in the bottom of the night. I said, sure. Or uh, it was the top of the ninth. And um, this was the game that clinched to, to win the pennant. And I called him and he he heard the roar on TV. So he or he he heard the roar over the phone of the crowd. And then like 15 seconds later, he heard the bat hit the ball um, and they turned to. Oh, yeah. So he it was the most insane moment for me because he started screaming and his wife was probably like, what's going on? What, what is the issue? And then yeah. they, so that was something that I'll never forget about that night. Um, but for you, after that happens, um, and I, I give huge credit, as much people rip him for the way, you know, calls games. And I don't know why Joe Buck did a great job with that, where he, uh, for like five minutes after that final yeah. out, he just nothing. It was just dead silent. And you just heard the crowd. Um, I mean, what's at post 
post-final out, that experience, and going back into the locker room and seeing, because I, I believe they take, so they take hats and they put them right inside your locker, so they take off that uh, postseason patch on the side and they put on the World Series patch. Eric Carrows in 2003, when uh, they were close to going and the embarkment happened, they went back in their locker and those hats were in there with the World Series logo, oh, and he man. saved it, he saved it, because they were that close, and it's still an eerie thing, and he brought it on TV and showed it, he goes, here's the hat, for, but you walking Jeez. in there and actually seeing it and going like this is actually happening like i i mean that was it that moment that hit you and like wow we're actually doing this this is crazy yeah it was well first off i'll say i'm not i'm not ever going to stand for joe buck slander i love joe i love buck. the guy but i have I to address it in that way because some people hate him <laughs> yeah. and i don't understand it i don't I know, get it. I, know. I don't get it i i I I never argue with people. I'm I'm not arguing. Oh, I hate people. that. Like, I just yeah. don't like Joe Buck. I just nod my head. Why? I turn yeah. around. I'm like, wow. I think he's fantastic. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he does a great job, and I think it's called like letting the moment breathe or whatever, where you say something and like then you just stop talking and you, mm-hmm. you let the moment happen. Right. He's so good at that. I thought. Yep. But anyways, um, yeah, going to the World Series was because I was on the road to the NCS and. They would warm me and Chapman up pretty much every game. They'd be like, hey, like, if if it's a serious situation where we need to win this game, Chapman's going in. Mm-hmm. If not, Rob, just make sure you're ready. So it's like I didn't want to pitch because I, I wanted us to be winning. I sure. wanted it to be a safe situation. I wanted us to be ahead or, like, so it's, it's that feeling where, like, I want to get in the game so bad, mm-hmm. but I know if I'm in the game, nothing good is happening. And so I, I didn't want to pitch, but I wanted to pitch. Right. And uh, anyways, when, whenever we went in, they, they handed the hat. And I think Javi and Lester both won co-MVP, didn't they? Mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I can't remember exactly. I, I'm pretty sure. And I remember at that ceremony, when I was still on the field, I was like, okay, this is cool, like, whatever. And then you get to the locker room, and there were guys just, like, staring into their locker. There were guys that were, like, emotional talking to each other and not like crying and like can't believe it because our job wasn't done at the time but sure. it was just like the moment all of us kind of at once especially when you see a guy like lester like soaking mm. in the moment like during his speech like you can see him like really soaking in that moment and that's when you see that's like this is a huge deal is like an idiot like me who's been up for a month and a half i didn't understand how big the moment was mm-hmm. and that that's a good thing because I, I the whole time i was sitting there i was like this isn't a huge deal. Like, like this happens to everyone, right? Like someone at any point in their life, they make it to the world series and right. you, you don't realize how many people play their whole careers and, ne- and never see the oh, world it's series. Crazy, so, yeah. yeah. That was kind of the moment. Whenever I saw Don talking during his speech, he was like, he thanked the fan, I believe and it all kind of a blur to me, but uh-huh. he said we couldn't do it without the fans and right. they all erupted. But Really, the moment I realized how much it meant to Chicago, the, the whole time everyone was saying it and everything, but when Montero hit that grand slam, that was the loudest I've ever heard anything in my Ooh, entire yeah. life. That that was the loudest sound I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was insane. Then we all know what happened the next series, um, which is something that I, whew, it was the, the best moment of my entire life, seeing uh, you guys out there, progressive field. Um, it was just overcome with emotion for me. And there's this one photo from that night, from Game 7, after you guys won, was uh, that I love. I love the photo. I actually have the photo um, hanging uh, downstairs in, in, my, in the basement because uh, it's such a candid photo. It's a great photo of you and Mark Carmen where he's, he's sitting by the locker with you. 
nobody else is around is like right oh, after yeah. the night and there's so i don't know what it is about the photo but it's just like it's just it, it it looked like it was just like the weight of the world off of everyone on that team shoulder everyone you know part of bringing that team to that point shoulder because it's like oh it's over with but the the photo is great he's just you and him sitting there in the locker room and you're talking to him sitting on the floor um what was the dialogue there? Yeah. And at that point, were you, were you, uh, were, was it finally starting to, to, to set in? Cause that was hours after. Yeah. That, yeah. That's when it sunk in. Like I said, when you're on a baseball field, half of your mind is thinking about baseball sure. and like yeah. the game or whatever. And then when you leave the field, mm -hmm. I remember I left the field, I went and grabbed my phone and mm -hmm. I called my wife or girlfriend at the time, but white wife now and older, like, what was happening and everything. And I was getting so many phone calls and texts and tweets and everything that my phone ended up just dying. And so I remember we were, we were doing everything like champagne going all around. Mm -hmm. And I remember just going into my locker and like celebrating. And then once the celebration slowed down, mm -hmm. that's when I was like, dang, like this is, this is unbelievable. Like I can't believe this just happened. And mm -hmm. you're right. It did feel like, cause I mean, we, everyone was getting tweeted videos of like, Hey, my dad's 96 years old. He's going to die in three months. This is the last chance he has mm. to see this and things like that. And I remember thinking, I was like, this is too much for one person to bear on their own. And that's what we did as a team is we all kind of like wore that burden together. Like we were all like, Hey, th this is our world series to win. Like mm -hmm. not one individual player is going to carry anyone else's weight. Like we're all going to push together forward. And like, it was a collective sigh of relief. Like when, when we won and, I remember I sat down and uh, I was just sitting there and like the world was happening around me, right. but I was like, it was happening in fast motion. And I was just slowly like sitting there, like, I can't believe this is real. Mm -hmm. And he came and sat down next to me and it was honestly great. Cause it, it snapped me back to reality and it, it was good. And I, I really enjoyed talking to him, but yeah, I was sitting on the floor and my, my pants were soaked <laughs> from all like the champagne and stuff on the ground. And yeah, it is a great photo. I haven't thought about that photo in a long time. I, I, I would probably actually really like a copy of that. that. That's really, really cool. Yeah, it is. It is a great photo. Now, after that, I mean, I think it was that, was it the next offseason you ended up getting married, right? Or was it the, the following two offseasons after that? Uh, two offseasons. Two offseasons. So 2017, after. right before spring training, I got engaged. And then uh, I got married 2018. 2018. And, uh, That's awesome. Uh, me and my wife, yeah, I, I'd known her since high school and we got, uh, like she was, she knew me well before any baseball stuff had happened. And mm -hmm. that was one of my biggest fears with playing pro ball was like, if I do make it, like, are you still going to be there? The same? And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then like the, the other way, like if I'm dating a girl and then I get released and I'm like, you know what, I'm retired. She's like, huh? you lose your identity. And <laughs> right. then she's like, Whoa, like I'm dating a baseball player and like, you're, uh, you're no yeah. longer that. And, uh, my wife has been unbelievable. Like she supports me through That's everything. Awesome. Like it's stressful now. I'm, I'm not, I'm not out at spring training for the first time in eight years. Mm. And, uh, it's a little stressful, but at the same time, like I'm focused on every day getting better. Like the, the time is close. I'm actually going to be 100% before season even starts. Wow. Like, I can't complain, but, um, yeah, I'm super excited about that, but she's my rock through all of this. She's like, okay. Like, and a lot of the time I'll, I'll get like a little down, like, man, like, I really wish I could move my throwing program forward. I'm unhappy. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go drink a couple beers and just think about like how upset I am or anything like that. She's like, no, you're not. You're going to have this kale smoothie. We're going to get through this. <laughs> Let's do it. And like, she's awesome. So 
That's she's awesome. always been there for me and she's been there for me since high school. Yeah. That's, it's fantastic. That's great. So, um, aside for baseball, so when you're not doing that, um, obviously the other day you said you were golfing. Um, I take it where you are in Texas, it's fairly warm and to be able to golf, right? Right now. Yeah. So it was super, super cold. And then the next day I gave it one day. And then the day after that I was golfing in 75 degree weather. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's wow. super nice. Yeah. Now, uh, how does that work with the, with the elbow? Does that, is that, does it flare up or does it bother you when you golf with that or no? No, no, I, uh, it, it, it was a relatively mild surgery. Like mm. I, I know like UCL and shoulder and stuff for like it sounds, 14 to 18 it months. Sounds Mine's a little twenty. Um, yeah, it does sound extreme. Like they, they, they did have to fix a fracture, right. but it, it's all bone and bone heals relatively fast. And sure. I, I'm pretty f- fortunate being, uh, like I was able to get Dr. Meister to do the surgery. He's a, he's one, one of the top docs for arms and everything. Mm-hmm. Sorry if it's getting dark here. I, uh, you're good, man. Don't worry about it. Car in a second, but, um, he, he yeah, he's one of the top doctors for arms. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I got that. And then I have the best recovery. I have the best medicine for it. I have the best PT guy in Austin. I, I love the dead. He's awesome. So I'm, I'm super fortunate and everything's bouncing back, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm able to play golf and I, I don't swing as hard. I, I hardly ever use the driver because I just don't want to do anything. But it's nice to like with all the stress and everything going on, it's nice to get out and move my body and do something right. that I love to do as well. No, I, I hear it in that. Well, you, you got a bullpen. Uh, you said you're throwing a, a, a session Friday, correct? You are throwing a search Friday. Has there been any uh, word? Is there is there getting any uh, news in, in uh, your little uh, you know in your in your uh, area with your agent or anything about possibly um, you know getting on a team the team this season or is that still too early right now? It's a little early to tell. So I wanna I want a team to sign me because they look at me and they're like, hey, we really like what he's we doing. Want he that. looks good. Let's yeah. sign him to help us win big league. Right. Exactly. And right now all the interest is like, it's a little, little speculative. Like if he looks good, we'll sign him. Or if he looks good, we'll talk or whatever. And right. I just want to look good and show everyone, just remove all doubt that, you know, I'm an injury risk or anything like that. I, I want to throw and everyone to watch the video and be like, Hey, he's ready to go. Let, let, let's go win some ball games. Right. Totally agree. Hey man. Well, Rob, I really appreciate you doing this, man. Yeah, no, no problem. I enjoyed it. I'm glad you reached out. Sorry that I couldn't get it done on the weekend. Hey, you're all good. You know I wish I was is. golfing. Thanks. Trust yeah. me, I, we're in Chicago, so uh, you can't do that here. Can't do much of anything right now. But uh, take care of yourself. Uh, hope you get better, and uh, I can't wait to see you back on the field, man. Take care. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm going to have to send you a signed ball for your collection. Oh, I'd I appreciate that. I, I'd appreciate that. We'll, we'll, I'll send you a message, yeah. and we'll make it happen. Take care of yourself. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. That was my conversation with Rob Zeshersny, Major League Baseball pitcher and member of the 2016 World Series champion Chicago Cubs. That was so fun. I had such a good time. If the audio sounded choppy, you have to give him some wiggle room. He's in Austin, Texas. We know what's going on there. They got no power. Uh, They got some power. Then it goes out again. I mean, it's tough down there. So give him some some space. Give him some... uh, you know, wiggle room per se, right? But uh, it was great. Uh, it worked out fine, I think. 
Uh, and I had a great time. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio. We have new merch up as well. I'd like to give a shout out to Podcast Cover. That's his Instagram handle. It's at uh, Podcast Cover. He designed the new visual identity for the show, and it looks amazing. Uh, no more of that blue, uh, that baby blue red uh, Chicago color stuff. It's great. I love Chicago, but it was just ugly looking. And now we have something that's amazing. So shout out to at podcast cover on Instagram for bringing me uh, an amazing visual identity. So thank you so much. We will see you next time here on the Christian Hansen show with Jesse Rogers of ESPN Chicago who covers the Cubs for ESPN. Till then, stay safe and be well. <laughs>